0: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can
1: change. Welcome to the Climate Action Radio Show, which can be heard on community radio 3CR in Melbourne and Skid Row in Sydney. My name is Vivian Langford and salut Babette. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and pay tribute to the decades long legacy of Aboriginal fights for land rights and against the destructive mining projects that are fueling climate change. In particular, we acknowledge the Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodians and their ongoing opposition to coal mining on their lands in central Queensland, and to the Gomeroy traditional custodians continuing opposition to coal and gas on their land in New South Wales. It is vital at this late stage in history that we all learn to care for country. It will always be Aboriginal land, and now is our time to all stand up for and protect it. the climate action show at radio 3cr in melbourne and it can now be heard in sydney and dunedin today's show is part of a webinar between two of the key thinkers underpinning the climate action we are now seeing in green transition Giles parkinson is editor of renew economy it's an online journal that you can subscribe to free and which will keep you on top of what's happening between government policies, and the renewable energy industry. Plus Tim Buckley, who I find the most reliable voice on world financial trends towards the green energy transition. He always says he's feeling bullish and his comments are trenchant, but I think he has the ear of the people who are making this happen, especially in India, China, and the USA. He is the director of climate energy finance. And I'd just like to say that over the years, both Tim and Giles are the type of people who recognize me at conferences. They come over to say hello, and they're often very happy to do an interview with me. And that counts. The second item will introduce a positive climate. It is produced by Alex McIntosh and Nick Seltzer. They've worked at ARENA, and I think they are observing climate action from within the world of technology and startups, which is an area we haven't covered for a while. So now let's plunge in with Giles and Tim.
2: Welcome to this webinar. Um, It's our first webinar of 2023, which promises to be a really interesting year for the um, green energy transition. And what we're going to be doing today is basically sort of taking a bit of a broader lens looking at the green energy transition as a whole and just some of the factors which are either sort of accelerating it or possibly slowing it down, Um, looking at where Australia fits into this um, green energy transition, particularly in the ability to attract capital Um, Also, its kind of leadership role, particularly in the electricity grid. For those who don't know, my name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy, um, along with the EV focused, uh, the driven. And one step off the grid and our guests today include Tim Buckley, who I think is probably well known to you. He's the founder and director of Climate Energy Finance. Um, He's had more than 30 years experience um, in stock markets and equity markets and things like that and been the uh, head equities um, person for one of the world's major investment banks. Tim, how are you? Good afternoon, Giles. Great to be here. I'm well. 2023 is shaping up to be such a big year and there's so many themes which are playing on this you know we've got things like um Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the lingering impacts of that and what that's done to the fossil fuel markets and more importantly what it's actually done to the European consumption of fossil fuels we've got Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act which has seemed to be putting pressures. everyone's going waking up an Australian going Oops, what's that going to mean? All of a sudden, all these technologies are going to be so much cheaper in the US than they are in Australia. Are we going to get the capital to um for investable projects in Australia? And I presume there's just all the different things which are sort of happening around the world. Um we've got the safeguard mechanism in Australia and various politics, and we've also got you know the impact of China and what's happening there. Where should we start here? Um Tim, um, you know, there's been a lot of response from the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what that means to the green energy transition. People speculating, did it slow it down? Did it speed it up? What's your take?
3: Yes, it's certainly been huge in the global implications, Putin's invasion of the Ukraine, but also the European and Western market response. Um to the Russian invasion. So sanctions against Russia have meant that the world's second largest exporter of fossil fuels is now very much restricted in their supply. They did actually game the system well before they invaded Ukraine to make sure everyone's on a uh, uh, short leash, zero reserves. And so the resulting sanctions have really, really resulted in skyrocketing fossil fuel commodity prices, that was really epitomised last week when we saw all six of the Western oil and gas majors reporting absolute record high profits, collectively more than $200 billion of profit in one year, the highest ever for that group of six companies. And yet their response is also really telling. When you look at it, record high dividends, so rewarding shareholders. Secondly, massive, massive share buybacks, like uh, Chevron alone announced a $75 billion share buyback, US dollars, real dollars, $75 billion buyback. Now, what that's telling you is record high dividends, record high buybacks means that they're not actually investing in new supply, anywhere near what they need to be doing. So whether that's fossil fuels or um, far more aligned with climate science and the climate emergency, investing in zero emission solutions of the future. And so maybe two quick data points on that. We saw BP, Bernard Looney, I three years ago when he was appointed CEO of BP, I was really, really hopeful that maybe the second time around Beyond Petroleum might've got it right. He certainly committed his career to it, but last week we saw him walking back those commitments in the face of war profiteering. And so he's really uh, reduced his climate ambitions quite dramatically for BP. And ultimately, it's obvious the financial markets have seen his stock underperform, his competitors, his peers. And lo and behold, if you underperform, you get sacked. So rather than getting sacked, he's walked it back. Now, the final data point I'll give you was another disappointing thing from um, America we saw Exxon last week announce that they were terminating their bioalgae fuel program now not a topic i've focused on a lot because there's been no financial uh, evidence to really support it but Exxon's put in 350 million dollars in the last 5 years and as the CEO of the company they were sponsoring to do the research, development and deployment said that technology breakthroughs in the last five years in bioalgae, they improved productivity 500% in five years. 700% sorry in five years so massive improvement now still not commercially viable but Exxon who's used it as their core greenwashing technique they don't invest in wind they don't invest in solar they don't invest in batteries they don't invest in decarbonization, but they did bet on bioalgae but now that it's starting to come good they've pulled all their funding. And so, again, to me, this, this,
2: this, sounds, this sounds familiar, Tim. I think we've sort of seen this probably in the EV industry, in the solar industry in the past. This sounds all like really bad news. But at the same time, we've seen in Europe, which is obviously the most directly impacted by the sort of the Russian sanctions. And we thought, well, what are you going to do now? You haven't got any Russian gas. You know, the lights are going to go out. You're not going to you know, freeze to death. It turns out, and despite the fact that, you know, um, a lot of the French nuclear fleet was idle because of various problems, Despite that, all of that, um, it didn't seem to come to pass. And there's just been this extraordinary, massive transition. So while you've got the big six super majors that you just talked about, sort of making huge amounts of money, but not investing into the future or even their past technologies, you've actually got a whole European, have got a whole continent, probably the second or third biggest economy in the world, saying, gee, we've got through this okay, we've kind of shut down the gas, we've actually found alternatives now, and rapidly increasing their sort of transition. Just today, for instance, they've actually finalised their commitment to phasing out, to banning the sale of um, fossil fuel cars from 2035, in continent-wide. So isn't that a good thing in the sense? I mean, so you've got this sort of, you've got the six majors digging their head into the ground, or the oil wells, and yet, yet you've got these governments accelerating, pushing the pushing the green button, if you like.
3: No, Josh, you're right. You're good to pull me up on the negativity. It's easy when you're talking about the fossil fuel incumbent Luddites, the climate science deniers. Um, Of course, they are trying to hold back the tide. But it's, if anything, it's absolutely accelerated in the last 12 months. And I've, in fact, never been more bullish than I am today. The opportunities for the world, the opportunities for Australia are huge. Uh, climate energy finance. We've just published a new report, which is titled "A Once in a Century Opportunity for Australia." It is we will be a renewable energy and value-added critical mineral superpower, as Ross Garneau has been telling us for I don't know 20 or 30 years. It is absolutely ours to be seized. But I'll pick up on the point you made. There's been a absolutely policy shift globally. Now we know China leads the world. China installed 87 gigawatts of solar just in the last 12 months, 60% growth year on year. They lead the world, they have for a decade, and they continue to be by far the biggest investor. But as you said, Europe has responded um, to the Inflation Reduction Act of President Biden by doubling down on massive industry and financial policy support for decarbonisation. So the EU commissioner has announced that she's introducing a new Industry Act to decarbonize, to double down on industry um investments in decarbonization in Europe. So that was her pitch at Davos. She's gone back to Europe and is absolutely pushing that through at a great rate of knots. In America, we've heard about the IRA, 369 billion, but behind that, it's actually more like 800 trillion, a trillion US dollars when you put in the US DOE. And then we just in December got the GX roadmap in Japan, a $20 trillion. Decarbonization stimulus by the Japanese government in domestic industry. So I, I'll finish by saying I am really bullish for Australia, but we can't underestimate the global policy financial support And the idea that Australia is going to leave it to a free market when America is doing the biggest subsidy program in their history, Europe's doing their biggest subsidy program, we know China is a state-owned enterprise, so therefore, why would we leave it to the uh, private industry, we really need to have the National um, Reconstruction Fund, the Regional Powering the Regions Fund. We need the NAIF and we need the CEFC and we need the Future Fund. We need the government to work in partnership with private because this is a a once-in-a-century opportunity for Australia. The investments are in the hundreds of billions of dollars. So just one word. One quick final question in this
2: part of the uh, webinar, Um, Australia has asked for advice on how to respond to the Inflation Reduction Act and um, obviously to the EU um, response because it's going gangbusters, as you've mentioned, Japan and China, of course, and Finkel apparently has prepared a report, I think it's been delivered there last week. What would you think would or should be in that and what do you expect um, that to see? I mean, is it about really just deploying these various funds that that you've been talked about or does it need to go more than that?
3: Yeah, we actually launched the Climate uh, Capital Forum actually recommending a response on the IRA to the federal government two weeks ago with the Smart Energy Council. I'd imagine Finkel will come to the same sort of conclusions. Dr. Alan Finkel has uh, certainly been studying the global transition, he's really started to talk quite openly about the massive critical minerals opportunity for Australia. He's already talked for the last six, seven, eight years about the massive opportunity of Australia having 700% renewables, very much as Darren Miller at Arena has said. So what will be in the Finkel review, I can't say, but what I could say is it will be all about how we need the government to set the right policy strategic framework and to put in capital, public capital, patient capital, that can be infrastructure, debt, equity, VC capital, grant funding, I recommend all of the above because even though Australia is a small country, the opportunity for Australia is as big as it is for America or Europe, and I'll say, I'll, I'll emphasise that, we produced 50% of the world's lithium last year, 50%, not 1.5%, 50%, Lithium's doubling and doubling and doubling again. And secondly, we produce 38% of the world's iron ore. We need to produce green iron and export. I'm sorry, just making sure I didn't say green steel, green iron. I don't want to compete with Japan, Korea and China. I want Australia to partner with Japan, Korea and China and help them decarbonize. So that changes the whole political narrative for the Albanese government. So Australia works and exports embody decarbonisation in all of our critical minerals and critical metals, and that drives a global acceleration of investment and decarbonisation. So rather than Australia being the third largest fossil fuel exporter, one of the three largest Luddites and science, climate science deniers, we become a world-leading advocate for decarbonisation globally. So I think Australia is beautifully positioned. Well, I'm John Grimes from the Smart Energy Council, I'm here to say that Community
2: Radio, 3CR, what an awesome role you play in getting the truth out to people who need to know at a counterpoint to the mainstream media. Keep up the great work.
1: You're listening to the Climate Action Radio Show. Tim Buckley from Climate Energy Finance and Giles Parkinson from Renew Economy are talking about speeding up the transition to green energy
3: five questions from Arno. I think I've I've answered uh, one of the questions in the chat about the workforce. It is a hugely important question. I think Australia really needs to uh, focus down on the work skills required. We need to build the manufacturing capacity. We need to onshore the supply chains. Um, And that means we need to actually rebuild the training systems that have been largely dismantled by the previous government over the last decade. I would be arguing we need to really step up apprenticeships. We need to have a very, very targeted um, immigration program. And uh, obviously, immigration in the last two or three years has been effectively zero with COVID. It's now re-stepping up dramatically. We need to target the right skill sets. And we have to realise Australia is in in a... worker skill race against the rest of the world you can't have america investing 800 billion us dollars in accelerating onshore manufacturing in everything to do with decarbonization without everyone wanting to go and work in america or in europe or in china or in japan so uh, i think we need to be really cognizant of the work skill shortages Uh, But on the other hand, we are also leading the world in some of these technologies. And so so rooftop solar, for example. So we're actually at the front of the technology adoption so we can learn by doing. And then what it also emphasises, we've got to play to our strengths. Australia is one of the world's top two or three mining countries in the world. We have five or six or seven or eight of the biggest mining companies operating in Australia, there are a huge number of skilled mining workers and there are a huge number of power plant workers. We just need to redeploy them to industries of the future. That might mean moving location, but at the end of the day, we do have huge mining skills, both workers and capacity in terms of the mining companies. So I think there's just a huge amount of opportunity. So I know your question's fair, Mary's question's fair, but uh, I think we can overcome it. Uh, it does mean a concerted government um, intervention. I, I, having worked in the financial markets for 20 or 30 years, at the end of the day, financial markets are great, but we need the government to set the right policy framework, to set the regulation and drive action. And uh, maybe Ano's final question, how do we make sure that the The less well off half of the world or half of Australia doesn't get smashed with the cost. That's usually the outcome. Uh, I think we have to be really careful. The federal government and the state governments are working on that right now to try and uh, and alleviate some of that pain. But at the end of the day, we've got to remember that Ian Chalmers inherited a. so, Jim Chubb has inherited a uh, trillion dollars of debt thanks to Josh Frydenberg. So, we do need, as Arno's suggesting, I've been calling for windfall profit tax. You can't have BP, Shell, Exxon, Chevron, you name it, Total, all operating in Australia and paying zero corporate tax in Australia. Exxon pays a lot of tax in America. Why is it that they're allowed or the rules can be manipulated that Exxon and Chevron and BP and Shell don't pay corporate tax here? They have to pay some corporate tax so that that the federal government can afford to actually protect the people most affected by their war profiteering. And I've also argued we need progressive royalties. We need a review of the PRRT. It's been game to buggery. It, it gets about a 3% royalty revenue. We get at least 8% in coal. In Queensland, they get 12 to 15% in coal. Why does uh, LNG only pay a 3% royalty federally? Now, we did see Cameron Dick change the Queensland LNG export royalties. He's now getting 5%. But... Um, why five, why not 34%, which is what the Indian government gets on every single tonne of coal produced and used in India. 34%, not a, not a progressive rate, that's the average rate. Now we could go to Norway and quote a 60 or 70 or 80% royalty rate and a corporate tax rate. But at the end of the day, I think the fossil fuel companies making ridiculously high profits need to be held to account in our country. We can't rely on the OECD to do something. They've been stuffing around for eight years, talking about international tax transparency. Uh, At the end of the day, let's remember the OECD is primarily Europe and America where most of the tax havens all sit and where all those corporates actually are residents. So we need to have Australia protect our interests. Are you a 3CR subscriber?
1: We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance.
3: It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band
0: or organization, and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio.
2: Tim, I don't know whether you asked the question about the safeguards. There's a couple of questions about the safeguards mechanism. Do you, have, um, do you have something on
3: that? Sure, Giles. I think it's a really important discussion. There's actually a major conference down in Parliament House today uh, by a lot of environmental groups working okay. with the Greens, working with uh, David Pocock. Um, but at the end of the day, I think they're missing the point. At the end of the day, we know the ACU system under Angus Taylor had flaws. I think Professor McIntosh has made that really clear, but the Chubb review is all about looking forward. Well, we can cry over spilt milk. We can um, throw rocks at uh, Angus Taylor. It's an easy target, Uh, but at the end of the day, we actually need to move our country forward at a rate of knots, and I don't want to spend a lot of time crying over spilt milk and a wasted decade of opportunity. I want to look at the opportunities for Australia. They are once-in-a-century opportunity. Finance, we need hundreds of billions of dollars of investment. So not just the National Reconstruction Fund, 15 billion, we need hundreds of billion. That's gonna have to come from our $3.3 trillion super funds. It's gonna come from corporates. It's going to to come from our major banks. Um, So they need to have the confidence and the right policy framework and price signal. So why am I talking about that? Because the safeguard mechanism at its core is about establishing a firm regulated price on carbon emissions, capped at $75 in first year, fiscal 24, but rising at inflation plus 2% per annum, which means we'll be looking at a price cap of $100 a tonne by 2030, $130 by 2035. And then the Chris Bowen is talking about international linkage to high schemes of integrity, such as the EU ETS. That would double the price overnight if we did that. So the price is going one direction upwards with the safeguard mechanism. And that is what we need. We need a price on carbon for too long, for decades, we've let fossil fuel companies pollute for free. And I think they've had their 20 or 30 years of pollution. They now need to be held to account. Now, the safeguard mechanism also has one key factor, it's got a key ratchet-up factor, which is that in year one, they reduce emissions by 7 million tonnes per year in year one, but it's 7 million on a declining base. So it's actually 5.8% annual reduction in emissions from those 215 facilities over the next seven years. So it's not aligned with the science, but it's a hell of a lot better. When we were in reverse for a decade, we've got to start walking and then running before we start sprinting. So I know Adam Bant is appealing to the climate science. He's working with the climate science, but the reality is we've been in reverse for a decade. We can't deliver on the climate science right now. We need to start moving in the right direction. So long answer, Joyce. I think the safeguard mechanism is a critically important Uh, policy initiative by the federal government, but it's not in isolation. We've got the methane pledge. We've got the scope two, 82% renewables, Giles, that you talked about. We've got... um, the EV policy. We have all sorts of policies, and uh, we saw the federal government ban the first new proposed coal mine virtually in Australian history last month. So I think we're moving absolutely in the right direction. We need to build that momentum and lock it in for a couple of, well, for for a decade, not just have a one-term ALP government.
0: 3CR, community radio is an important function, just like anything to do with community. I think community radio is essential. And that was the pre-election episode that helped form my views on how I should vote on May 21. Vivian Langford talked with several people and it gave me a great idea how I should vote. So at this point, let me endorse community radio. I think it's a wonderful asset and a benefit to the community.
2: If we go back a couple of years, in fact, gosh, if you just read sort of, you know, so much now, there's there's all this sort of skepticism about, no, we can't do this, we can't get there, We, you know. I mean, do you think there's just like this broader acceptance now that we are on this track, you know, the technologies that Grid Beyond are bringing and so many other people are bringing, um, you know, we're sort of, um, you know, we're, we're so far down the track in, in states like South Australia. Do you think that um, the fact that we now know that we can do this is sort of helping to sort of accelerate this or is there... Or are we seeing the last stand of the um, of the uh, of the fossil fuel brigade with their pitchforks and the bridge type of thing?
3: Yeah, I, you're right. I immediately recall a conversation I had with the chief engineer of the South Australian grid um, operator about seven years ago. And he said to me, Tim, there is no way we can handle 20% variable renewable energy penetration. And now they're dealing with 100% penetration instantaneously, virtually every every couple of weeks or days. And uh, he actually, like, he was the chief engineer and I was listening to him and I was thinking okay well the guy's got 35 he wasn't employed by a fossil fuel company he just was an engineer who was worried about the speed of transition and and worrying about the downside of it but I think we've overdone the worry like climate science Luddites undermine and use whatever arguments they can. So grid reliability. But this was an engineer who was tasked with managing South Australia, which now, as we all know, is the highest penetration of variable renewable energy in the world. And grid reliability has gone up and their price of power relative to the rest of Australia has gone down because of it. So it's a proof that the engineers Uh, at AEMO and and the operators, I'm not in any way digging at them. They actually have to do their job. They have one of the key requirements is to serve and ensure the reliability of our grid. But I think we can see that South Australia is the perfect litmus test of grid reliability going up and technology um, going through the roof rather than, and, and the problems being overestimated, the risks being overestimated and the opportunities massively underestimated. And I'll also, um, yeah, so it, no, that's that's my key point that uh, we've overestimated the risks and we've underestimated the opportunities. And so I think the narrative is really shifting about the opportunities. And uh, I, I, I mean, I'll pivot to India for a second. India has a grid, one national grid, which services 1.4 billion people. Now, their re- variable renewable energy penetration is 11%. And yet, Every conversation I have with even the renewable energy players, but the NTPC, the grid operator, the government of India, they all go, oh, but we can't worry. We have to worry about grid reliability. Now, I remind them that most of their citizens have six hours of outages most days of the year and that they have 100 gigawatts of diesel generator backup that costs you 15 rupees a kilowatt hour to run and are really noisy and really expensive and all relying on Im- imported diesel when you can do solar at two and a half rupees and wind at three rupees. And I just point to South Australia and say India actually has the biggest national grid in the world, like bigger than even China. China's got two grids, Japan's got two grids, America's got eight grids, we've got two or three. Um so India's actually got one. So I think people constantly use grid reliability and intermittency of wind and solar as a reason to go slow. We need to go fast. The science says we need to go fast. The cost the cost of living, as uh, Arno asks about, requires us to go fast because we know domestic energy security and deflation and grid reliability all go hand in hand with decarbonisation.
1: If I have
2: my time Five hundred languages I would sing to you
4: This is Monica Jasmine Caro. I'm a proud Gunai Kurnai, Gunish and Mukja Wait woman. I'm a spoken word poet, actor and musician and you are listening to 3CR Community Radio. And I love community radio because it is about representation and accessibility for all peoples
1: of all walks of life. And I must have a home somewhere I belong.
4: It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice.
1: Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
4: When you compare an old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems. Generally like older, wetter forests,
1: Subscribe now.
4: Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.
1: Now for a complete change of pace. Let's go into the Friars Forest at Lake Haradas in Victoria with a group of friends mourning their friend john it was recorded by kangaroo vindaloo and it's called song for john <laughs>
4: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au.
1: Climate Positive aims to inspire. The podcast presenters, Alex McIntosh and Nick Zeltzer, are friends on a mission to find solutions. They have contacts among the most way ahead startups, and this is just a taste of their podcast program. It's an extract from the last episode in 2022 where they look at predictions they made at the beginning of the year and how far on we are. I like it because it's upbeat and it goes into areas that I don't usually dare to go and we haven't touched on these subjects for a long time. I hope you like their well-informed and exciting predictions. Alex, what did I say?
0: <laughs> you said by 2030, there will be a decent export market for hydrogen.
4: Yeah. We'll define decent, really.
0: <laughs> hey, it was your call, mate. Um... <laughs> uh,
4: I think there are certain people that would disagree with this. Saul Griffiths. If Saul Griffiths is yeah. listening, he would tell me I'm wrong. Well, he can <laughs> come on the podcast. We'll debate it. But I do think like, in, it actually kind of connects quite nicely with your first prediction, Nick, because I guess if you're banking on the fact that we can actually get above 100% renewables, then effectively we're going to need a way to export that extra piece of renewables. And either you do that through a cable like Sun Cable to Singapore or to other countries, or you do it through some other kind of medium which could be hydrogen or it could be making hydrogen and then turning it into something like ammonia or methanol or some other kind of like carrier to effectively get that energy to an export economy. So I think that... Given also like all the international moves that we were talking about at the start, like you know people like the UK and Europe looking to actually import a heap of their energy, like they're running global auctions now to try and get people to bid in to supply hydrogen or derivatives of hydrogen in that time frame. You've also got Japan and Korea making a whole lot of moves also to import energy. So I think that there's enough pull from the offtake sector or the people who want to use this product, like the customers, that. We will be able to have that kind of decent export market by 2030.
0: Okay. So you, you, you're going to lock this one? Because I don't know if the next one's a lock, Alex. So you have got to pick one of them. <laughs> I'll lock this one. <laughs> I'm
4: not sure about
0: the next okay. one. Okay. Should we move to that? Alex McIntosh. You also said, predicted a big prediction, that half the meat we will eat by 2025, the, I think you said protein, actually, half the protein we eat by 2025 will be carbon neutral.
4: Yeah. Well, like there's been a few movements in this space. Like we talked about yep. bowel before, so there's been a lot of movement in like lab-grown meat, which is a kind of emerging industry. There's also like lot, lots of other alternative proteins like plant-based meat. You know, there's other people looking now to do like what they call precision fermentation, which is where you make like milk effectively, but you make it synthetically. So I think there's a lot of movement happening. I think the interesting thing will just be like how do consumers take this on? I think for some people there's probably a bit of a mental leap to make between buying, you know, what is now currently like an eye fillet in Coles or Woolies or your supermarket to buying a lab grown piece of meat. And, you know, that tech obviously needs to be commercialized and fine-tuned a bit. I think plant-based meat could probably get a lot better than it is at the moment. I still think that there'll be a movement towards vegetarianism or towards, you know, alternative proteins and we'll see that. I don't know if it will be half by 2025, but... I think that trend will kind of still keep going upwards. So maybe that's like a yeah. 60 80% well,
0: one. Okay. Yeah. Like I think um, the industry has got a lot of heat just because of the, in many ways, the, the share price that's for Beyond Meat, like some of their sales are struggling. But you can kind of see this happening. Like there was always going to be new brands out there, new competition, a bit of consolidation in the sector. Yeah. You know, I, I still think I saw some UBS forecasts that said it's still going to grow at like a 18% growth rate through the next, I think the next decade. BCG, I think they expected it to be 11% of global retail sales by 2035, which is still like a huge market. Of, yeah, they include all of dairy and meat. So as you said, precision fermentation, cell-based meats, it's really just up to consumers like you and me. But what I do know is it will be buying.
4: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I want to test it out. I'm going to try it. The other thing I think is super fascinating about this space, which seems to be a little bit of a trend only in kind of alternative proteins, is just the amount of celebrities that are investing in these companies. Like they just seem to be jumping on board all these companies like Katy Perry's and like you look at like cap tables of these companies, it's like Katy Perry's invested in one. I think Drake has one. I think mm. Oprah has invested yes. in one. They've all jumped on board this and it's quite an interesting, I guess, phenomenon. I, maybe it's just because food is very tangible and, you know, it's something you can like all relate to versus like other pieces of tech. But
0: Do you think it's a good sign or a bad sign?
4: <laughs> well, I don't know. It's also like, yeah, is that, is that fueling the hype maybe? Who knows? But, yeah.
0: Yeah, fueling the hype. But, hey, they've got huge audiences to promote the product to and they'll be aligned. So hopefully it's a force for good.
4: I would like to be at a board meeting that has Katy Perry, Oprah and Drake sitting around a table though because that would just be amusing. <laughs> so that was all the existing predictions and we'll keep them on foot we'll keep checking in keep seeing how confident we are on them and how wrong we are in season 30 <laughs> of a positive climate
0: yeah, see, season 30 season you'll just be a um kind of a six hour opus where we just run through our how accumulated predictions
4: we <laughs> yeah. but do you have any new predictions that you want to add nick i've got one and i want i want to caveat this with i don't want to have any more on the record.
0: You're going to leave me out to dry. Um, I'm not going to give much explanation for this. Uh, I think we need to get onto other things, but my prediction, my big bold prediction of 2022 is that by 2030, there'll be more electricity running through Australia, Australian homes, coming from a car battery than a stationary battery in the home.
4: What you mean, Nick, is that instead of us using like a Battery, like a wall battery to power your home. Yep,
0: power. Yep.
4: You actually using your car as the battery.
0: Yep, vehicle to grid. Yeah, I'm banking on vehicle to grid, the scale of that increasing, the costs coming down more so than what we've seen to make home batteries be a no brainer decision for all Australian c- consumers. And the fact that we've got this bloody asset that's just sitting out in the driveway at the moment and it gets used 5% of the time, which means that 95% of the time it could be used to play that service. So,
4: And there's certainly, like, there's trials of that going on at the moment. Like a few people are now trialling yep. that to see how customers behave. I think that's the thing I've always wondered with that is, you know, will customers be okay with – I think if you could control the way that it draws energy from your car, that might be one thing. But if you've got a retailer who can call – on that battery in your car when they might need excess, you know, energy in the grid. It would just be interesting to see if consumers can get over that barrier of like losing control potentially of an asset.
0: Totally. And I think these projects will help solve that or, or, or address that and see if there is a, a model there. But um, as an industry visionary said only recently, "There's 86 was months you? until
3: 2030.
0: <laughs> no, no, it was oh. you. 86 months exist until 2030.
4: I think I may have stolen that off someone. But... <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think, I think that there's time. But I think we can wrap up big predictions. Yep. I want to move on to a new section. Okay. A favorite section from last season. Uh, I think we call it our kookiest or weirdest or most intriguing startup ideas that we heard of all this year. Um, I'm going to throw over to you to
4: go first. Okay. So the most intriguing startup that I've heard about this year is, and it relates to baby formula oh. Or, or milk, like breast milk. At the moment, there's like, well... In the past, there has been a baby formula shortage around the world. There's been lots of issues, particularly with supply chains. At the moment, the baby formula market is a 45 billion dollar market globally, which is massive.
0: Yep. Okay. Mm.
4: And so, obviously, it plays a really important role in like developing children and you know making sure that there can be like the right nutrients that give get, gets given to babies. And so, there are a couple of startups now that similar to Val. Mm. they take cells, but they are taking mammary gland cells so breast cells, and effectively growing them to then make what is effectively like synthetic breast milk.
0: Wow, okay.
4: Which, like, I got told about this and I was like, what? (laughs) Which sort of just blows my mind. But apparently they have got it to the point where they can pull out, like, you know, correct kind of proteins so that it effectively is just as good as, like, a mother's milk. And so that just sort of blows my mind because I'm like, if we're at a point where you can do that, like, That's pretty amazing when it comes to cell grown kind of cultured meat and you know other kind of lab you know alternative protein products. Obviously, this has a different application, but you know pretty interesting. So some of the companies that are doing it, there's one called Wilk. Which is a good good name, I reckon. It's good.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm paying Um, it, yeah.
4: So, yeah, there's a company called Wilk. There's another one called BioMilk, which is with with a Q. Q. It looks like it's with a Q. Um, And Bill Gates has invested in that. So, yeah, I think there's – and there's also a heap of them. Like that's just two examples, a heap of other ones looking at this. But, yeah, super interesting space to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, but is the argument there – it's evidence of just the crazy stuff that we can do to engineer – real you know effectively alike proteins and however on earth they're doing lab-grown memory glands makes you think that they could also do lab-grown meats at high efficiency
4: yeah and i also just have a lot of questions and like i tried to get a visual of what this is yeah and i couldn't get one and i just maybe we'll email them nick i just want to know what this is in a lab like is this a wall of boobs or i don't know (laughs) Anyway, Nick, what's your weirdest, okay. kookiest, strangest idea?
0: Well, I'm just trying to remember. Last year we had potty training cows um, yes. to help them burp less no, or something, No, no, It was think, about or... like,
4: managing how they urinate and how that might impact. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. We, we had pollination as a service to sort of help. Yeah, for
4: bees. Very important.
0: For bees, yeah. I've got two this year to throw at you. I was actually, one was in the AFR the other week. A company called MROD. Now, what they do is wireless transmission.
4: What? So... <laughs> Doesn't this yeah. like defy they, they some s- like laws
0: of? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Like the caveat on this whole thing is like there's been no due diligence done by no, us. But in it's any in any way. the AFR. It just it's just interesting. Yeah, it's in the AFR. The company claims that they can wirelessly send electricity hundreds of kilometers at eighty percent efficiency, at megawatt capacity. You know, you and I are kind of looking at each other over the screen, and our natural kind of um, skepticism is at play. Now, I, I don't. We don't like to um, kind of dunk on startups, and I'm not doing this here. I just want to make the point that I feel like the AFR was a bit skeptical themselves because they made sure they pointed out that the CEO lists himself as the co-founder of the psychic readings marketplace, Zodiac Psychics. Uh, <laughs> but, no, like, obviously the U.S. Army at the moment is doing wireless energy transmission, and this would be an absolute game changer in everything we've been talking It'd about. It
4: would be pretty cool if you could get it to work. yeah. 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 yeah,
0: it's a bit one of those fanciful things that we don't always like to talk about on the podcast because it has to be real and the things that matter. But on that point, the next one.
4: Next one, what is it, Nick? I think it is real.
0: It, oh, it's definitely yeah. real. But when you first read about it, you're like, is "This, wow, okay. So um, it's a company called Microtow. Um, they're based in Sydney. And they specialize in mimetic technology. And what that means is they're applying technology from nature to well, the real built world, right? And so their first product that they've raised capital for from some good investors, it's called shark fin like riblets. So it's kind of like a shark's fin, these little kind of nodules. And the first application could be, you could put this kind of coating all over planes. And what it could do is actually reduce the drag of those planes by up to 12%.
4: And make them more fuel efficient?
0: Absolutely. Make them more fuel efficient. Now, you know the ultimate goal absolutely will be to try and get planes to be fully decarbonized but it's one of the hard to abate sectors is going to be we have to admit tens of years away before that really happens and so it's like an actually a powerful trigger to reduce emissions in the near term and eventually make them more efficient we still want to waste renewable energy later on that was in the topic of my most intriguing startup idea
4: i'm imagining like when you used to like contact your books for school <laughs> like is that what it is like yeah. you're putting like a contact thing on a plane that gives like a texture that therefore improves the drag
0: yeah well look you heard it here first here comes our request to henry from Michael Tow. <laughs> we'd love to have you on the podcast next year to answer that very question we'll start with that
4: just on a similar vein to that i heard um last night when, we were, when all these people were talking about evs someone was saying that on the teslas like on the hubcap there's like a separate additional hub that they put on which apparently improves range by like something like 10% or something so it's like a similar like aerodynamic thing that improves okay and I found that quite amazing if that's true that simply like the design of a hubcap can Hmm. have that kind of material impact so maybe you know if you can do that with just a hubcap if you could have like a whole Rap. I'm sure it's far more sophisticated than me contacting my books back in high school, but we'll yeah, make sure we ask them. Or,
0: or car hub caps all over in uh, 747. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
4: all right. Well, anyway, moving from kooky startups yeah. to actually real, real projects, yeah, yeah. <laughs> things that exist, things that actually got done this year. We thought we'd wrap up with our most interesting project or deal that was done in Australia this year in terms of clean tech. So, mm. Nick. What's your, what's your pick?
0: Can I just agree that, make the point, Alex, that we just can't bring ourselves to say the words climate tech. We're still stuck in clean tech land.
4: Does that mean we're old school? Or I don't right?
1: know.
0: We've been around. You know, I don't know. Anyway, I actually think the, the best or most important deal or relevant deal of last year is actually ChargeFox, the electric vehicle charging network. They actually sold the business to the um, sort of amalgamation of all the motoring clubs. Oh. Yeah, and so it's been fertile What's ground. Is called? Uh, it's called uh, Australian Motoring Services. So it's got, oh, you okay. know, yeah, it's a BD. I was like, does it
4: have some super long acronym like NRMA, RSE? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's the entire alphabet. No, no, it's just AMS, right? <laughs> um, but look, electric vehicle charging networks all over the world, it's been fertile ground for them to sell to oil majors, right, like the shells of the world, et cetera. But in this case, they're sold to all the motoring clubs who are trying to you know, get themselves into the next you know phase of their businesses. But the main reason why I think this is relevant is that it's a climate tech exit, like a startup that started not that long ago. I'm going to wild guess from memory it was 2018 or so that they started. Uh, they've actually sold the business and made money and made an exit. I don't have the full details of what it was, but I think, you know, all this news of capital raises occurring, we need to remember what the main aim of the game is. Obviously, create great products, have a profitable business, employ startups. But in the venture capital model, you're trying to find a way for actually founders to monetize what they've built and exit. And I think it's like a really important landmark because I don't have too many others in my mind that sold for more than what was raised um, and it was profitable in the market. So I think it's, I think it's big news. It was big news. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And like you said, there's not many examples of that so far. So, you know, mm. good to have this, more success stories in the bank. Yeah. And,
0: and what about yours? Like, can I make a wild guess that it has? Something to do with the project that made you a global social media sensation, mainly, <laughs> ma- mainly on LinkedIn?
4: My sister called me the other day and she was like, wow, your LinkedIn posts doing really well. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: wasn't about the podcast. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, but it was about a project that got done this year, which was a project in Western Australia in the Pilbara. And so in the Pilbara in Australia, there's a, an ammonia facility that's run by Yara Fertilisers and it's the biggest ammonia facility in Australia and ammonia is really used to make fertilisers and also some explosives that get used in mining and not mining just for coal but mining for all the other kind of materials that we actually need for the transition. But fertiliser is a really important thing and it's something that we need to decarbonize because... You know, we're still going to need to grow all our kind of crops and food that we're going to need for the future. And ammonia as an industry produces about 2% of global emissions, so it's similar to aviation. It's, you know, it's a big chunk and it's definitely worth looking at that. And so you make ammonia using hydrogen. And so my project that I'm picking is the project with ongee who are deploying the first ever 10 megawatt electrolyzer in australia which for context is not a massive electrolyzer but it's 10 times bigger than the current biggest one we have yeah, okay. so it's a yeah. massive step up and it will then feed it will create completely you know zero emissions hydrogen that then gets fed into this facility to create ammonia that can then be completely decarbonized and so you know it will only at the moment create a very small percentage of what is, you know, completely renewable ammonia in that facility for fertiliser, but it's, you know, step one in basically getting to a future where we can have, you know, our entire fertiliser chain kind of decarbonized. So I think that's really important and I think it's super exciting because we're going to need to keep, as I was saying, we all need to eat, so it's something that we need to look at.
0: (laughs) But I I know know we've already done our prediction section, but just to ask you and your crystal ball on this, like that's step one, this gets done you know, it's going to get built, I imagine, over a few years. We talked about that before. All these things don't just magically pop up. What might step two look like? Like, and when might that be? Like, what what might the next step up be?
4: I think it could happen pretty quickly. So, like, for another example is in Brisbane, there is another ammonia facility at Gibson Island and that a company called Incitec Pivot Run. And they have just announced, along with Twiggy Fortescue, they're just going straight to 100% decarbonisation. They're not doing wow. an interim step. They're just going all in. So I do think that, you know, I think the lessons that get learnt from the Yara project in WA will be really critical for allowing other parts of industry to learn from it. But I think that there is a future where you could almost have very big step-ups in that decarbonisation journey for ammonia. I don't know if it will be like a linear kind of gradual kind of decarbonization it might be almost like you know you do one percent you do ten percent and then you do a hundred percent or something like that
0: we'll look out for that two amongst many interesting projects and deals that happen this year we got to move to wrap up alex did you have a favorite moment from this year
4: oh this is always a hard one <laughs> you gotta cast your mind back
0: how could you pick one of your own children you know.
4: <laughs> do you nick what's yours
0: mine would be the pitch fest uh i, I like I think we had Energy Lab on in the last episode. You can check it out. We had 10 startups, speed round. You know, I'm sure we'll do it again. But I just thought that, you know, I think I first started working in the sector in 2013. And it's been a huge evolution of the quantity and quality of startups and how they can share their vision. And they were early stage companies. And I kind of found them all pretty interesting and eloquent about how they could talk about where they fit in, what problem they're solving and where they're going from there. So like, I thought that was a, my, my favorite by far. Yep.
4: Not by far. Not by far.
0: Uh, just mildly, just a on all, mildly on all of our other eight guests or so. Yeah.
4: And I guess if I have to pick one, I really like the PV Industries guys. So they're the, they were the guys that are actually looking at how you can recycle solar panels, which I think, you know, is obviously an emerging area and is going to continue to grow as, you know, all the solar panels we currently have installed are going to age and need to be replaced. So I think it's super interesting to see that we've had an industry that's been developed and we've put all this effort into getting solar out there, but now we've actually got people looking at solutions to recycling stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Alex, we've come to the end. The very end of our wrap-up episode. The very end of season three. I've loved doing this with you like I have the previous two seasons. <laughs> um, you, maybe we might even get our first episode recorded in the same place next year. You never know.
4: Yeah. yeah. We've
0: got a lot planned uh, for next year, everyone. So I think we said before we're doing the Australian startup season to start up next year be sometime that's called february march time if you don't want to miss it make sure you go on our website sign up to our mailing list you can shoot us an email if you have suggestions about the companies that you think might be great to feature and you can follow us on the socials and see what alex and i get up to uh, over our christmas breaks
4: <laughs> and on that note
0: thanks very much everyone we'll uh, speak to you next year
4: that's a wrap <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of A Positive Climate. Check out the show notes of this episode if you'd like to know more about today's guest. Also, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn for further details.
0: And if you want to help us out even more, feel free to give us a rating and hit subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you know any other fantastic companies you think we should feature, feel free to send us an email at hello at
1: I am not in love But I'm open to persuasion Well.
2: When you think of community, uh, think of 3CR. When you think of radio, think of 3CR. This is Joan Armor Trading, asking you to support your community radio station 3CR, the only alternative.
4: But with all my head. And- Really
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Climate Action Radio Show. Tonight's guests were Giles Parkinson and Tim Buckley and Nick Seltzer and Alex McIntosh. Links to their work will be on the show notes. It's Renew Economy, the online journal, and A Positive Climate, the podcast. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck.
3: This is coal. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's
2: coal. It's coal.
1: Tune in every Monday at 5 p.m. to hear the Climate Action Radio Show.
3: Are you a 3CR subscriber?
1: We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance.
3: It's just $40 concession. $80 waged, $150
0: for a band or organisation, and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio.
3: Panoply? Panorama? Panpipe? Pansy? Aha! Pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of
4: sex or gender. Sound interesting?